Um, what a joy it is to be with you today. <clears throat> I would like to, before I begin, just honor um, and res- honor my, my parents and my sister who are here today. Um, they're sitting over there. And I'm just so thankful for the support they've given. They've given me over this last year. And um, you can clap if you want. I mean, they're... <laughs> They've just been a huge blessing to me in so many ways, um, and so I just want to honor them. Um, I stepped onto the elevator at the Chase Bank building, and I saw two people inside. I punch in my floor number, and I noticed that the man looks at the woman. She's wearing a, a PETA t-shirt, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And suddenly he says something underneath his breath that I, I can't quite understand. I quite, can't quite hear. Uh, I was in the oil field for a while. My hearing's kind of messed up. Uh, She snaps back. I didn't hear it. She says, excuse me? He retorts back to her, you know exactly what I'm talking about, you hippie. Before I know it, the woman goes off on a rant about the abuses she's witnessed in the farm industry, abuses I didn't want to hear about. The guy goes off on how she should wake up, stop drinking the Kool-Aid, stop eating the tofu. Uh, It gets ugly really quick as they uh, slide into insults about physical appearance. These two strangers straight up yelling at each other, arguing against each other, and they're about to start fighting all in a tiny little box that is slowly moving with me inside of it. (laughs) Now you may ask yourself, what happened then? Well, the answer is kind of simple. Um, I got to my floor and I got off. (laughs) So how often we tell stories to each other, and as we get to the ending, we are disappointed, even possibly angry, right? Usually listeners are angry at the storyteller, so hopefully you'll forgive me for a fictional cliffhanger just to get your attention a little bit. Um, The word I've heard often used is anticlimactic, unsatisfying, or a waste of time. Through books, comics, TV shows, movies, video games, every other story we tell to each other, when we get to the ending, we find ourselves absolutely frustrated and angry and confused. Why did I waste my time with this? One example of this uh, is the TV show Lost. Uh, uh, Okay, which I haven't seen, um, but when the ending aired, I remember reading articles. People, some people extremely angry, and some people like, oh, that was a good ending. It's like, people are frustrated, people are happy. Different stories, right? So when it comes to stories, we are often disappointed at this point at the ending. But God's word today gives me the authority to say that as we are nearing the end of the story, as we go into this this, uh, sermon series, There will not be a single person who can or will raise any legitimate criticism at what God has done and what he will continue to do throughout all of eternity. Here today, I would like to respond to two objections that people have in the meantime right now. Two objections that people have to the end times, to revelation, to the restoration, the new heaven and the new earth. So I'm going to address one objection now and then one after the message. The first objection is this, and you've probably heard it yourself. You don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. This objection has its roots in the very subtle lie that ultimately what matters for you is the here and now. Don't contemplate the glory of God, the love of God, his promises, his righteousness, his justice. Don't contemplate those things. Or you can think about them a little bit, but don't think about them too much because you might get distracted at your work. You might get distracted in your ministry. You might get distracted raising your kids or mowing the lawn. Heaven forbid, not the lawn. (laughs) So when you stop and think about it, lies always look so good until you put the truth right up next to it. It's as if we wake up out of surgery. The nurse describes, the doctor saved you. You were so close to dying. He intervened so beautifully in your life. With compassion, he held the scalpel, right? It's just incredible. What, What a great thing. She then asks you, would you like to have 
lunch with this doctor? Meet some of the other patients he saved? Well, I would, but I don't want to be distracted thinking about that lunch. I mean, goodness gracious, I got taxes to do. Um, if anything, the danger is the danger is the opposite. It's far greater for us. We're very selfish, unloving, and short-sighted people. Our vision of reality only tends to travel as far as tomorrow. By being so earthly-minded, we can be no heavenly good. Let's just think of a few examples. What happens to our relationships when we forget that Jesus calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven? Bitterness, anger, pride leading to chaos. What happens to our job when we forget that we are ambassadors of Christ and called to honor Him and not lie to people, not deceive people? So what happens? Lies, manipulation, um, oppression, more chaos. What happens to our children when we forget that God alone is to be worshipped and not them? It's chaos in the home. Jesus counters this false division we have between heaven and earth. Let's look at Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christ in this passage clearly calls us to set our mind on things above, not below. See, your affections, your passion, the core of who you are, the center, this is my personal being. They ought to be firing on all cylinders, pursuing God, seeing and seeking Him, desiring Him, following Him, loving Him, embracing Him, rejoicing in Him. Because ultimately, if you love God, you want to go to be with Him. And you want to cherish who He is and every pursuit that we have of Him. Can the fiancé, and this is a dangerous quote, not a dangerous, this is a dangerous statement. Uh, some, maybe some have done this, I don't know. Um, can the fiancé say that he doesn't want to think about his wedding, his honeymoon, and his marriage with the person he loves? I don't want to miss that bus stop. I don't want to be distracted. That's scary. But we do this daily. When we repent of our sins, when we trust in Christ for salvation, and we, we treasure him above all else, will actually want to choose the joys of eternity. And there's so many. It's overwhelming when you read Revelation. It's overwhelming. We want to choose that joy over Monday's bitterness, Tuesday's coveting, Wednesday's lust, Thursday's greed, Friday's anxiety, Saturday's laziness, and yes, even Sunday's hypocrisy. I, I am convinced that we need a reorientation of our life around the truth of what is to come. Um, this quote, I think, by C.S. Lewis helps us quite a bit. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think about the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. See, when we believe the gospel, he gives us new desires. We fight temptations day in and day out, over and over again, because the story is not done yet. Last week, Chuck preached on how God, in his infinite wisdom, has reconciled us to him and has reconciled us to each other to be part of this new community of faith called the church. This is the part of the story that we're in now as we sit here today, and we're going to be looking forward to the ending, or what could be better called the beginning of forever. Let's ask one simple question. What is restoration? What does that mean? Let me give you a recap of the series so we can think about what does restoration actually mean. 
It is the recovery of creation. God's creation was good. Humanity lived in perfect harmony with each other. They were innocent of all sin. There was a beautiful relationship with God. No pain, no sorrow, no malice of any kind. Only pure, transparent love towards each other. We are God in his great mercy has given that us to, uh, to us to recover. Um, it is the reversal of the fall. The fall of humanity was a result of trusting in the lie that was given to Adam and Eve by Satan. The consequences of disobedience to God were severe and have brutally affected us all. Affected us all. Pain, sorrow, death, broken relationships with each other and with God. In restoration, it is fully, completely, finally re reversed. Totally. It is incredible to even consider that. And not only that, but we will actually see and witness and understand all the ways that man has done evil on this earth and how God has used it all for his glory and for his good. Isn't that worth looking forward to? Isn't that incredible? It is the completion of redemption. As Kent eloquently prayed there, Jesus had a sinless life, a sacrificial death, and a victorious resurrection. Now, now Christians readily admit every day that there's difficulty in believing the, God, believing the gospel and believing in God, trusting in him, rather than the pain and the regrets and the fears and the shames that we feel. The, super, the supernatural revelation that occurs when a person is transferred from the, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, that is one iota of what we will see in eternity, of his glory, of his goodness. We will no longer need faith that, yes, Jesus did rise from the dead because we will actually see Jesus. We will actually know him personally. We will actually spend time with him, sit with him, walk with him. What a wonderful, wonderful reflection. We don't need to be fearful of any temptations we have. And there will be no temptations. Hallelujah! There will be no temptations to sin. We will be fully satisfied in Christ forevermore. We will drink deeply of the living water promised to us. It is the revealing of the church. The people of God, transformed into a pure righteousness, will be joyfully united with Christ as a bride is to a groom. What discord will there be? What disharmony? What sin? What will divide us? Nothing. Even today we face divisions constantly. We will all, all of us, will be made perfect. So daily we struggle with sins of compromise. Daily we struggle with looking to someone else to lead us instead of God. We will find in God our holiness and righteousness. So this is what the new heaven and the new earth is all about. It's about perfection. And one of our greatest daily struggles that we face as Christians is functionally believing. Yes, I believe the word of God is true about then, back then. And I believe the word of God is true about today. But can I trust it for the future? Can I trust it for eternity? So my hope today for you is twofold. First, that you would glorify God for what is to come because it is marvelous. And second, that eternity would guide your life like the rudder on the back of a boat, leading you to springs of living water and eternal joy forevermore. So let's, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that your spirit would work in a powerful way, Lord. Would you uh, awaken us out of any apathy, convict us of our sins. Lord, I pray that together we would come to your word, humbly look to it, and say, what do you have for us today, Lord? Thank you so much for your church and your love towards us and the cross. 
Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for everything, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just to give some context, it's been a few years since John the Apostle saw any of his fellow apostles, his friends, his brothers. He's been exiled to a little prison colony called Patmos, surrounded by water. It's very interesting because I think that they viewed him as a very dangerous man, right? We send Al Capone to Alcatraz, and the Roman government is going to send John to, to Patmos. Very interesting. Um, but see, the gospel is very powerful. See, the gospel, uh, the good news that Jesus was the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of sinners, the Lord over all, had spread throughout the entire Roman Empire, and many who followed Christ experienced severe persecution and outright rejection of the message that they openly shared with all. So the apostles were targeted specifically. They were crucified upside down, crucified right side up, right? Thrown off roof, off roofs. They were dragged to death. And we think about this and consider this. They give their lives so that today we would have this message. Let us reflect on that. Let us, let us consider that and let us, let that weigh on our hearts. See, in the ancient world, the Greeks found the gospel foolish. A crucified savior was simply stupid to them. The Romans disliked how the Christians would only worship Jesus, not the emperor. The Jews viewed the gospel as a stumbling block they couldn't get over. The pagans loved their sin, like every other group did, but they specifically chose the fading and temporary pleasures of this world over the abiding and abundant pleasures of God. So Christians were foreigners, aliens, pilgrims, exiles in every way. There's a saying that the more things change, the more things stay the same. And it's true. We still are as Christians. That is why revelation is so important to us. Because it gives us great hope and great peace and great joy in God and what he is doing. So, very briefly, um, I'm not going to cover all of revelation. Don't worry. Um, <clears throat> I don't think I'll be asked back if that happens. Um, revelation 1 covers the introduction of the book as John describes for the reader. This is the purpose for which the book is written. So I'm going to read Revelation 1. If you could turn there. We're going to be in Revelation the rest of the day. Um, Revelation 1, verses 9 through 20. <clears throat> I, John... Your brother and partner in the tribulation, in the kingdom, in the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, saying, write what you, write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Theatera, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. 
I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. God's word is so practical. Written to seven, this, this book is written to seven actual churches that actually existed in John's day. I know many people look at Revelation and they will say, can't understand it, too fantastical, doesn't make sense. It's for the believers. It's for us. We can see his glory, his sovereignty, his power, his reign, his rule throughout this book if we would just look at it. And to summarize this message that happens in Revelations 2 and 3, we see the King of Kings resurrected, ascended, reigning over all things, Jesus speaking to seven actual churches, and he says a couple of things that I think are important. He says, repent of your sin, love God and love people, hold fast to the truth, Believe the gospel. See, obeying what God commands us to do shows that we have truly believed in Jesus Christ and are conquerors through him. Remember this because we're going to revisit. We're going to look back at the conqueror image again. So there's a whole bunch of stuff in the middle. And I'm not going to cover all of that. A couple things I would say. It's beautiful. It's majestic. It provides great hope to us because daily... As Christians, and I'm not talking specifically here in America, though sometimes, but I'm talking about in Kenya, I'm talking about Nigeria, I'm talking about Iran, Iraq, and countless other places, where to even speak, I believe in the name of Jesus Christ, means you will lose your home, your business, your family, and so much more. We are so easily distracted by what we have here, the freedoms we have, the stuff we have, trivialities. They have nothing. And so they are so easily captured by that truth that we see in Revelation. I want to encourage you, reflect on that. Consider, what can we learn from our brothers and sisters that are around the world that are experiencing persecution like never before? They have a better view of eternity than we do. And we ought to repent. We ought to change. So now we're going to go to the end of the book, Revelation 21. So turn to Revelation 21. And uh, in, in, in light of the fact that seven is used so many times, it's a number of completion, there are seven points. So, so I know some of you want, we've got to get some uh, handlebars for this thing, wherever it's going, this car. So uh, we have seven points. So you will see them when they come up. So let's look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This is talking about God's new creation. So a few illustrations to try to get at what is going on here in verse 1. So when you're driving on the interstate and you see a police officer, naturally you slow down back to the speed limit. So maybe I'm just speaking from personal experience, but um, his presence, right, plus your crime equals a good fear of the consequences. So you, you shrink back. You fall back. You stay back from that. You're fearful. So God's presence is causing everything to be pushed down like spaghetti through a drainer. Does that make sense? So the good is kept. Everything that is good everywhere is kept. And everything that is worthless, that is meaningless, that is evil, is removed. 
the new heaven and the new earth is the equivalent of everything, right? So it is not only the new heaven on which we will physically be, this new heaven, but it is also everything outside of the new heaven. So to take that, it means everything. God is not content with simply changing one particular thing, but he is changing everything. Another example is one time when I was walking up to my car from the post office box. So I was about to open the door when I saw someone inside my car I didn't recognize. As every guy does, go right into the Tekken stance. All right, there's someone in my car. Today is a good day to die. And I look again. It's me with a beard. So I didn't recognize myself with my new beard. In fact, so much, I thought that I was someone completely different. And I feel, now you may, that's it's humorous, it is funny, I think it's funny. Uh, I feel that we're going to be saying that often about the new heaven and the new earth. As believers, I've walked by this view a hundred times, but it's just so different. I barely recognize it. I used to see these kinds of bugs, but I, they're so, I, I'm like, I used to see them, but they're so different now. I remember when I used to talk to my brother, but we talk in a whole new way. Imagine even just talking to someone. No malice. No evil intentions of the heart. Only love. Only perfection. What an incredibly different way of living. So I, I don't believe for a second in the traditional, cultural, very, very Greek philosophical view that the physical world is evil, is bad. The spirit world, that's all good. So if your view is you're going to go flying up to heaven on kind of this abstract form, like a zip line. You go up there, and then you can't stand on anything because you're going to go you know, through the floor, so you're going to have to float around a little bit. And you can't, you can't really play drums because you reach for the drumsticks. They just kind of, your hands go right through them, just, just like that. Um, and you have to play a harp. That's, all right, that's not true. That's nowhere in Scripture, right? Uh, it's a very interesting idea. Um, if it's not based on Scripture, we should reject it. Um, there are countless books on heaven tourism that end up distracting us from what God has actually given us to know in his word. The scriptures say that Jesus in his resurrected body ate fish and he also made food. So obviously he could hold stuff and like make food. I mean, it's very simple, right? Um, I can do that as well, but I can't pass through locked doors, all right? So, so we got, I can do this stuff now and Jesus can do this stuff, but there's some stuff I can't do. Why? Because I messed up, right? I have... I have been affected by the curse. We've all been affected by the curse. God, God has come to restore and fully, fully restore every area of life that has been beaten up. That includes the physical, the emotional, the ecological, the social, racial, ethnic, cultural, spiritual, and so much more. Hear me when I say this. I don't mean it's going to be a flattening out and everyone's going to look the same and be the same and, and there won't be any cultures. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying everything evil on the earth is gone. And yet we retain the good. And that's incredible to think about. That's incredible to consider. What would, it, what would it be like to have a discussion about culture that doesn't involve racism or xenophobia? What would, it, what would that be like? And it's like, oh, I, I have those all the time. Check your heart. <laughs> Check your heart. We don't. Um, let's continue. We come to a very, very interesting phrase. Uh, the sea was no more. What does that mean? It seems seems kind of clear when you think about it, but let's actually take a look closer at it. Um, <clears throat> one of the earliest books I remember reading uh, was about Viking raids. So I really liked those. That was really cool. Very violent for a, a young guy to read. It's awesome. Uh, you learn a lot of moves by Viking raids. Surprise is essential. Uh, consider this. You could be making breakfast. 
this morning as like a free man, and within five minutes, you and your whole family are captured and you're chained up in a Viking longboat. Your village is totally destroyed. Now, we're not ancient people, but we're not too far from when a century ago, an unsinkable ship called the Titanic went down. 1,500 people were lost to the sea. And isn't it true, we have our own small echoes of that. Even when we watch, our, watch kids, right? Um, we put up gates. Don't go play by the pool by yourself. Don't do it. Uh, one of the most terrifying moments I've ever had in my life was when I was traveling over the Pacific Ocean with my brother and sister. We were going from Los Angeles to Tokyo, and we had just made it halfway across the ocean. And you look up in the plane, or look in this little map right here, a little GPS map, and there's this little plane like just going over the ocean, the Pacific Ocean. It's huge, massive. It's like outside, it's negative five degrees. Um, and I thought to myself, well, if we go down, I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt. <clears throat> it's below freezing. I will not make it. No bright, uh, great yellow life jacket's going to help me out. Um, uh, with my luck, get knocked unconscious and drown that way. Uh, dehydrate, eat, eaten by sharks, freezing to death, whatever. I mean, it's, it's kind of scary a little bit. You, you realize, oh my goodness, well, make peace now. That's what you got to do. Um, at that moment, I needed to be reminded of the authority of Jesus Christ over all things. So I'm going to read this wonderful story from Mark 4, 35-41. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took with, with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? My friends, there is nothing that can separate God from his people. And one day, there will be no natural disaster, no terrorists, no freak accidents, all the trials, tribulations, and persecutions that we daily experience, that we weekly experience, yearly experience, over and over and over again. There will be no more, only his divine, sovereign order of the universe as it is meant to be, to work in perfect, perfect harmony. Not only will the chaos be replaced by his divine and good order, but we will finally begin to see reality, truth for what it is. And we will wholeheartedly glorify him because of it. I don't think this means there will be no water in the new heaven and the new earth, but that the chaos and destruction that have so long plagued humanity and represented by the, the, the crashing of the waves will be gone. Gone forever. Let's continue. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, God's holy city. So when we think about cities in the scriptures, we are met with a very distasteful image. Babel is the first city, and it doesn't do so hot basically. Uh, Babylon, Sodom and Gomorrah, Nineveh, even Jerusalem finds itself pitted against God in conflict. John is taking the definition of the church as all believers, all times, all places, all ethnicities, all races, all cultures, brought together to dwell and to live in this holy city with no malice but love. See, 
when we often say, I'm going to church, but that's, that's just bad theology. It's not true. You're going to be with the church. The church is the people of God. The church is not the building. The church is the people of God. And so let's look at the next verse to complete this image that John has for us. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. God has built this holy city for his people so they can live with him. And there's a tradition of a groom lifting the bride off her feet and carrying her over the threshold of, the, of their new residence. Um, there's a whole bunch of speculation as to what, what the origin is. Some of them say it's keeping her away from evil spirits. Others say, well, marriages are kind of a little more arranged and a little more forceful back in the day. Um, we could say that God in his supernatural power provides for us an eternal, secure, beautiful, joy-filled, incredible, majestic dwelling place that brings the glory of heaven, which is God himself, to the new earth, and we will dwell with him. John 14, 1 through 3, I'm going to read that real quick and just be encouraged by this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. What's the point of that? I'm taking you to myself, to be with me, to dwell with me, to live with me, to abide with me forevermore. That's the point. Let's not get distracted. I love the imagery. It's beautiful. It's wonderful imagery. But let's realize that God has taken, him, taken us to himself forever. The point is not that we get the place to live um, and that we will have very elaborate, strange mansions in heaven. The point is that we get to live with God. That's the point. Let's look at verse 4. <clears throat> he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God's true comfort. I have often received comfort from people who could realistically do nothing to help me. What would it be like to be weeping on the ground over the sins of your life when you feel the hands of Christ wiping away your tears? My dear brothers and sisters, do you feel the sting of rejection, persecution, oppression, injustice, pain, sorrow, mourning, and so much more? I'll never forget the day when I was at Glorietta and I strained my knee. It was excruciating pain, like a lightning bolt had uh, crushed my brain into my, the rest of my body. Um, <clears throat> so the next day I was hobbling around on crutches, and it was the guy session. So every, there's like 400 college guys in the room. So I've, I've never been on crutches before. So I'm like, well, I'll just real quick try to sit down. And I put pressure on my knee, and I, I felt that pain probably about 10 times over and um, started yelling really loudly, like, like, ah, ah, like that kind, like, but louder. Imagine 10 times louder. Um, and I'm starting to black out because of the pain. And uh, I am, I, I admit the pain was one thing, but it was another thing to even feel the embarrassment, right? So, like, I should be able to handle this. I'm a guy. Uh. Oh, gosh, maybe not. 
help, Jesus, come quickly. And so I feel ashamed, right? I'm, I'm, I'm broken in this area, and everyone's seeing it. And I feel humiliated, honestly. Um, I believe one day all who follow Jesus will experience full restoration. There will be nothing that is left behind. There will be nothing that we will leave. Every, everything will be given back. Everything will be restored so many times more. Is this a promise that you will believe in today for your life and how you live? The long, dark shadow of the fall and the curse that has plagued us for so long will be gone forever. Today we weep over things that happen, and we rightly do. We are comforted by his word, the church, and the spirit. But what would it be like for God, your father, and you as his adopted child to sit down together? He puts his arm around you and says, tell me about your cancer. Tell me about your miscarriage. Tell me about the pain that you have felt. What would it be like to have his comfort? Isn't that something worth waiting for? Isn't that something lo worth looking forward to? Let's continue. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. God's eternal throne. God is on the throne. We are not. He is the one who is worthy of worship in all our pursuits of anything or anyone less than him is idolatry. These idols appear to each of us as real as the ground we walk on, but are deceptive illusions. Time will break every idol. It's a horrible trick that we play on ourselves and others over and over and over again, as if other things will satisfy you besides God. One more night spent in front of a computer. One more day spent gossiping. One more week spent plagued by anxiety about things you can't control. At the end of the day, we are constantly looking to someone else. We ought to repent of our sins and to trust in him again. Only God can make your life new. And what he says can be taken as an unbreakable oath. Everything evil will be filtered out altogether. We will see him in his glory in everything. We can know that this will occur because he has given us his word. Let's continue on. <clears throat> Verses 6 through 8. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, sex sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. God's amazing grace. Let me ask you a question. How many, how many sermons, how many, how many ways have you heard the gospel? Have you been curiously looking over and saying, it could be possible. This could be true. My encouragement to you today would be to realize that this living water is for you. 
To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. It's time to give up all of the ways you've tried to bribe God, all of the good works you've stored up. God gives freely his grace and his love to you. How is it possible that someone who uh, stays in the United States and doesn't go over to Germany in World War II can say, we were victorious, we conquered, we won, we overcame. How can that person say that? They've never picked a rifle up in their life. Well, it's because they supported, right? They were, they were there in the United States. They were supporting those who had gone overseas. The only reason that we have anything at all, that we can say, yes, we are victorious, yes, we conquer at all, is because of what Jesus Christ has done. He has conquered for us. And today, I'm asking you and pleading with you, those who have been thinking and considering and hearing, who else can conquer for you? Who else has overcome sin and death? There is only Jesus Christ who has done that. My hope, my prayer for you, who are considering, contemplating, my, my encouragement to you is this. Realize, even now, even now, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, you're condemned already. Even now you are. Your portion is in hell. Your portion is in eternal torment. Please, don't go towards that lake. There is a spring of living water. There is a spring from which you can drink from, and you will be fully satisfied God's, um, let's look at God's new Eden a little bit here. Um, go ahead, Ryan, go ahead, go ahead one more. <clears throat> we'll, we'll read this together. Uh, well, I'll read it. You'll read it as well. Uh, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is such a wonderful picture. So we've started in the Garden of Eden. We started in this beautiful paradise that's created by God for us. And it was lost. But through each beat, God is working in powerful ways to redeem and to restore us. And we see this especially in this passage. The tree of life is back. And it's for us. If we believe the gospel, we have overcome everything. If we trust in him, we can walk faithfully. So my, my encouragement to you today um, is very, very simply this. Um, as we contemplate all this and, and consider this carefully, um, let's remember that knowledge, the knowledge of eternity, of the truth of what God has done, and what God will do. This truth is the brick wall, is the brick that is going to fly 
through the window of any spiritual apathy you have. It ought to jolt us out of our seats. I will praise God forever. I will be with Him forever. I will love Him forever. I will enjoy Him and delight in Him forever. John Piper famously said, missions exist because worship does not. Can we together, as the body of Christ, encourage each other, exhort each other towards holiness and righteousness so that we, even us in this room, would be a preview for the city of Tempe. This, this is what heaven very well may look like. It is so different. I can't understand it. And when we speak the truth, when we love people, when we repent of our sins, when we hold fast to what God has given us, we are conquerors. We have a heritage because of Christ. In World War II, you think about that. Oh, thank, you know, we sent, he has been sent over here to save us. Guess what? We were the enemies. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How much greater is his love for us? And how much greater is his love for each person? So let's look real quick at this last verse. Um, the objection is this. Um, Jesus, it's been 2,000 years, Logan. It's been 2,000 years. Where's Jesus? Why hasn't he come back? And people often have this objection. And they mock and they scoff, say, listen, I don't want to, I just want to let you know, everything's just going on forever. One day the sun will burn out. You're going to die. You know, you're going to be eaten by the uh, worms. Just letting you know. I'm like, thanks, that's positive. I appreciate that. I really want to live life to the fullest now after hearing that. I'm so thankful you told me that, uh, that uh, knowledge. Um, so I want to look very carefully at this and, and want to encourage you in your life, encourage you in your testimony, encourage you in your walk. Uh, let's look at Second uh, Peter, I believe, Second Peter 3. This is the reason why Jesus has not yet come back. It's because of you. Those of you who have not believed the gospel, it's because of you. Because he loves you. And he cares about you. And he's patient. It's because of Tempe. Because he cares about Tempe. And he loves Tempe. It's because of Arizona. He loves Arizona. And there are so many people without Christ. In Japan, there are 99.9% .9 of people do not follow Jesus. I thank God that Jesus has not returned yet. Because they have the need of the gospel. They have the need to be forgiven, to be freed from their sins, and to love God and to dwell with God. Our heart ought to explode out of worship and beat every single day. Let's pray together for the mission teams that are going out, not just around the world, but even here in the day-to-day. -day. Let's encourage each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's not fall back, but let's say together, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all reach repentance. And I, I want to simply end by saying this. The water of God's grace, his love for you, the gospel, is available to you freely. Will you not believe? Will you not come to trust in him? And for those who have already believed the gospel, his truth, can I encourage you? We have so much to look forward to. We will never be disappointed. There is only more that is coming. Only greater things are coming. Evil does not win out. In the dark, when you say, I feel like today 
I have been overcome, and I have lost. I'm too poor. I'm too broke. I'm too homeless. I'm too proud. I'm too arrogant. I can do nothing. No, God is not done with your story. He is not done with your story. He loves you and cares for you and is calling you back to him. So hear me when I say this. God's grace is incredible and amazing. And he is calling us every single day to consider him, to worship him, to reflect on him. Let, us, let that mindset be stamped in our hearts of the truth of eternity. Allison, you come up and read the benediction for us today.